Amen. Amen. How many of you are awake this morning? I see no hands, so that means none of us. All right. <laughs> well, how many of you have ever come to the realization that there are some things in life that nobody can prepare you for, right? You, you've realized that no matter how much you learn, how much you read, how much you ask other people for testimonial advice, there are some things in life that no one can prepare you for. Things like your very first cup of coffee and the feeling when you're asleep and you're drowsy and, and lifting that first cup of coffee to your lips, like not, not just first thing in the morning, but I mean like your first ever. And I know some of you aren't coffee fans and that's okay. But, but that very first time experiencing coffee, like there will be a day, someday in the hopefully far off future, where my little baby girl, Phoebe, will experience, and I'm saying will, experience her very first cup of coffee. There will be a day, and, and it'll be wonderful and, and amazing, but nothing that I tell her, nothing that I describe, nothing she reads will ever be able to prepare her for that glorious moment of her first cup of coffee. There are some things in life that you just, there, no one writes a manual about your first cup of coffee. No one does that, because it's such a small thing, but, but it still is an experience. There are things in life like the first time you drive through the drive-through on your own and order food. It's a small thing, it really is. But, but there's nothing like the freedom of, of ordering your food, having your license, going through the drive-thru, ordering that by yourself for the very first time. There's some of those random things. No one can prepare you for those things. Now, I'm a first-time mom, and there's a whole world of things that have been opened up to me as no one ever told me. I couldn't have known except by experiencing it. The one that I, I think sticks out to my mind most out of all of the learning and reading and, and studying on apps that I did, no one could have prepared me for holding that little baby all day long all day long. Nobody could prepare my body. Like I could work out, I could do everything I wanted, but nothing could prepare me for the weight of constantly holding that baby. And this time in the nursery is about the only break I can get from holding a baby in my arms all the time. No one could have told me how incredibly tired my body would be. And yet at the same time, I'd lay down at night and think I am so exhausted, but my body has never been stronger. No one could have prepared me for that. And all the mothers in the room said amen. No one could have prepared me for that. No one could have prepared me for holding that baby in my arms for the very first time. Or for the first night in the hospital or away from the hospital where it's just me and Amos 
and no nurses to come and, and whisk her away so that we could get a couple hours of sleep. No one could prepare me for packing up her first drawer, her newborn clothes, because she's no longer in those, her zero to three month clothes, because she's a chunky thing and she's no longer in those. No one prepares you for things like that. Who would have thought to prepare you for things like that? But my favorite so far, the other night I was getting her ready for bed and, and nursing her and laying her down. No one can prepare you for the dead weight of the baby as she's sleeping in my arms and she's gained, as Cindy likes to say, her five pounds. But also looking down and realizing the weight that I'm holding raising her, and Amos and I being her parents. See, I'm holding a physical weight, but there's also this, this emotional and mental weight. No one prepares you for those things in life. No one could prepare you for those things in life. But even that kind of happy heaviness, which is also... Definitely a heaviness as I, I stand there looking at this baby that I'm supposed to raise. That's a heaviness no one prepared me for, but there's all kinds of other heavy things in life that no one can prepare you for. Things like the weight of a death, the weight of a loss. No one prepares you for that. There's no book on that the weight of losing a parent or a child or even just a friend or losing the, the heaviness of watching a child or a loved one make poor decisions, the weight of financial burdens or unmet expectations, unkept promises. No one prepares you for that kind of, of heavy in life. There's heaviness that some of you hold in this room that I can't understand because no one's prepared me and I haven't held those weights that you hold. No one can prepare you for that kind of heavy. Now I know we're starting off with, with a lot of heavy this morning, but if you have your word with you, if you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn. We're thrown into a heavy, but I can promise you by the end there will be some hope. But we're thrown into the midst of some heavy in the book of John, chapter 11. And so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John 11, or you can go there on your phone or follow on the screen. We're thrown into the very midst of some heavy in this passage. Jesus is teaching, he's traveling, he's working, he's doing all the things that Jesus does. And then all of a sudden, heaviness hits. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. 
He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And we'll pause there for just a second. Right away in this passage, there's a heaviness. Like just all of a sudden. And some of you have carried this specific kind of heaviness. You're going about your day-to-day business, just doing your normal thing, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, illness hits. And some of you are, are carrying this in here this morning. Some of you have carried it in the past, and you found that you're holding a heaviness that no one could have prepared you for. The weight of carrying this illness, either with yourself or a loved one, And we don't know much about this sickness that Lazarus is carrying. We don't know, was he sick for a long time? We don't know, did he suddenly get ill? Or was this something he'd been battling for a while? Was he experiencing a lot of suffering? Or was he kind of like out where he wasn't even aware of what was going on? We really don't know a lot about this illness other than the fact that he was sick enough for his sisters to say, you know, I think, I think it's time to let Jesus know. I think Jesus needs to be here. And so they send off to call Jesus, but Jesus doesn't seem too concerned. He says this sickness won't end in death, and he, he doesn't drop everything and, and just head over there right away, and so it seems like he, he's not too worried about this. And the passage says it's not because he didn't care. It's just that he felt like it was time to wait. He loved them very much, but for whatever reason, and we don't know yet, he decides it's better to wait. Now, as many of you who've carried the weight of illness know, things can change in an instant. And so in a matter of days, Lazarus has died. So let's pick back up in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. Let's jump down to verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Now there's three things that we can't deny when we read this story. And I promise we'll finish the story. But three things that we can't deny when we hear this story. Number one is that Jesus cared. We know that Jesus cared. Last week, we learned about the story of the dry bones in the book of Ezekiel. But these aren't someone else's dry bones. These, these, this is a, a person that Jesus knew, his friend. This is close to home and personal for Jesus. He, he cared for these people. It says in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. In verse 33, Jesus saw his friend weeping and it deeply troubled him. Verse 35, he wept and the people said, see how much he loved him. Jesus cared about this situation. We can't deny that. Second thing we can't deny is that Jesus could. Jesus could heal the sick. He'd actually done it several times before this. In fact, just a couple chapters before this, we see that Jesus was healing people, healing a blind man. Mary and Martha knew he could. That's why they were so distraught when he arrived too late. They said, if you'd been here, we know you could have healed him. And then Martha takes it a step further and and she says, even now, I know you can. They knew he could. The disciples knew what Jesus could do. They'd seen it with their own eyes. They'd seen Jesus heal a blind man. They'd seen him, him ask people to stand up and walk who hadn't walked. They knew what Jesus could do. Even the onlookers and the mourners The people who were comforting Mary and Martha, they say, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? He could. That's the thing. He could. But the third thing that we can't deny is that Jesus chose to wait. He didn't go to see his friends right away. He waited. And, and this is the part of the story that I, I wrestle with 
when I read it. In fact, I've spent all week wrestling with this question. Why did Jesus wait? Why didn't he go see his friends right away? Because if he cared, and if he could have healed Lazarus, why on earth did he choose to wait? Because by waiting, Lazarus died. By waiting, Mary and Martha were forced to sit in the heaviness of death. They were thrown into all the chaos of of a funeral, of mourning, of having people surrounding them all the time, reminding them that their brother was dead. And every time they'd walk past that tomb, it's like their their heart was wrenched out of their chest. And, And some of you know what I'm talking about. He clearly could have spared his friends of that weight. And he clearly did care for them. So what kind of friend would allow his friends to sit in that heavy? Jesus chose to wait. Now, if you remember from last week, there are things for us to do and there's things for God to do. And there's things for us to know and things for God to know. And only God, only Jesus could have known what he was about to do. Let's finish the story in verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them, but Martha, The dead man's sister protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. There's things for us to know and things for God to know, and only God could have known that when the stone was rolled back from that grave after four days of sitting and decaying, that that body would not smell but rather would now stand. Only God could know that. And as people stood watching and holding their breath, literally and figuratively, wondering what kind of a madman 
would ask the stone to be rolled away on a four-day-old tomb, only God could have known that this body that was too far gone could live again and walk out of that grave. And because there are things for us to do and things for God to do, the people could mourn, they could, they could wail, they could comfort Mary and Martha, they could even roll the stone back from the grave, but only God himself could call out to his friend and say, Lazarus, come out and watch him walk out, knowing it would happen. Jesus chose to wait to allow his friends to sit with that heaviness that you could cut with a knife because he knew what only he could do. But I told you I've, I've been wrestling with this question all week. And if I'm honest, I don't like the answer that I just said. I still, it, it doesn't sit right with me. I don't love that answer. Why did Jesus choose to wait? Because he knew what he could do. I still don't like that. See, the reason I don't love that answer is that in doing so, in waiting, he still allowed his friends to sit with that heavy. I don't like that. I mean, imagine how the disciples felt. They knew what Jesus could do, and Jesus says, this will not end in death, and then Lazarus dies. Imagine what the disciples are thinking, like, excuse me, what? We've seen what you can do. You said this wouldn't end in death, and he died. Imagine Mary and Martha knowing that Jesus could heal their brother, but then realizing in the moment that they watched him take his last breath, realizing that Jesus didn't. See, they don't know the end of the story. In those moments in between where Jesus waited, I mean, wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had shown up earlier and, and, and walked into a room filled with people who were crying and praying and finding Lazarus, laying on, on what could have been his deathbed, and then Jesus walks in and he says, I'm here, you're sick, you're healed, and Lazarus sat up and stood up and said, I'm healed, I'm better, praise be to God, and people believed. What would have been so bad about that? Would that have been such a bad thing? To spare the heaviness and skip to the healing. And some of you, I can tell just by the heaviness in this room, have asked that question too. Why would God allow us to sit in the heavy? 
Because we all have heavy. We all have something that we've carried into this room, that we've carried every single day. We all have something that's weighing us down, something that's either dying or dead or too far gone. We all have dried up bones that you're looking at and wondering if they can ever be brought back to life, or maybe a skeleton in the closet that you're hoping no one finds, or you've got fresh wounds, something recent, something personal and, and painful. And you know that God cares. You know what God can do. So why would he wait? Why would a God who cares and who can wait until the bones in Ezekiel's valley were too far gone? Or why would a God who cares for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and who could heal him in an instant wait? Why would a God who could and who cares not make all of my problems disappear. Remember how there are those things that no one can prepare you for. Nothing and no one in life can tell you what an experience will be like until you've experienced it. I think God knows that there's hope in the midst of the heavy and nothing can better prepare us for that hope than actually experiencing first the heavy. The hope on the other side of the heaviness is more fully understood, more fully appreciated when we've experienced the heaviness. And because God desires to know us and to be known by us, he knows that sometimes a death is required. Because only death creates room for a resurrection. Only a death creates the opportunity for dead things to be brought back to life. See, only God knows how much more glory he will receive and how much more he will be made known by waiting. See, think last week, that valley of dry bones. How much more was God's power put on display by waiting until the bones were dry? Remember, God raised the dry bones back to life so that people would know him. People would not have known him if they had not experienced that fresh breath of life. And that fresh breath of life would not have pointed to God if there had not first been a death. So don't you think that God knew what he was doing when he allowed those men to die 
and become dry bones in a valley. If those soldiers had not died, there would have been no valley of dry bones to raise back to life. And Ezekiel would not have been able to witness what God is capable of, which is the hope and the joy, the the ability to restore dead things back to life. If Lazarus had not died, all those people that it says left believing in Jesus would not have known that life and resurrection was possible. Mary and Martha would not have known fully what Jesus was capable of doing, not only healing the sick, but also raising the dead back to life. He had to allow them to experience the heavy. And if we fast forward in the story a little bit, Jesus himself had to die on the cross carrying the weight of our sins, of our death, and we would not know that he was able to be raised from the dead. We would not know that there's life available for ourselves right now if God chooses to breathe life into us or down the road. At the end of time, when God makes all things new and raises bodies back to life. See, Jesus chose to wait. God allowed a death so that he would receive more glory and so that he would be made more known. But how much more will his glory be revealed when all things, when all things are made right and restored all at once at the end of time? Now, I promised you some hope. So if you would turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we see a glimpse of what that day will look like. In Revelation chapter 21, John, one of Jesus' disciples, who also recorded the story of Lazarus in the book of John, writes this in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. 
All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. See, when John wrote these words, I can't help but wonder, did he recall the story of Lazarus? Did he remember the death and the sorrow and the crying and the pain, the heavy that Mary and Martha and even Jesus carried? And as he stood there and he saw this vision of old things made new, of dead things being given new life, of brokenness being made whole again, and hearing God proclaim, I will freely give from the springs of the water of life, I will be their God. Did he picture that body walking out of the grave, still bound up in grave clothes, and Jesus saying, unbind him and let him go. Did John picture Lazarus when he saw this? Or when John wrote this, did he picture another body walking out of the grave, another body that was raised to life? Did he picture Jesus leaving his grave, leaving that tomb empty once and for all, telling everyone that death had been defeated forever? See, in this moment, did John realize that every time God chose to restore dead things to life, it was a foretaste, an appetizer of this. See, we're getting close to lunch here. And who doesn't love an appetizer? Where you sit down at the table and you, you order your appetizer, you get that food, those, those mushrooms or mozzarella sticks, and, and you know as you're eating that appetizer, it satisfies you for a little while, but you've got a real meal coming. You've got the full meal on its way. See, that's the point of an appetizer. It gives you a little taste of what's to come. But even when I don't get an appetizer, when I sit down at the table at the restaurant, I know my real meal is coming. I might just have to wait a little bit. Every time God chooses to wait, perhaps it's because he's got this picture of revelation in mind. Church, God will one day make all things new. He will restore dead bodies back to life. He will make dead things in our lives breathe again. He will call dead bodies from the grave and say, walk out, and they will walk out. He will remove every heaviness He will remove every brokenness. He will remove every tear and every sorrow. And all of this so that he can receive glory, but so that we can also know him, so that he can be our God and so that we can be his children. 
and so that we would experience life forever with him. Jesus waited, but I can promise you he will not wait forever. He will not wait forever. So I have to ask you this morning, I promised you some hope. Do you know him? Because that is the whole point of, of living, of, of life, is to know God and to bring him glory. And if you know him, there's hope in the midst of the heavy. There is hope in the midst of, of the burdens that we carry. Because God will one day restore all things. You might have to sit with the heavy for a little while, but think how much sweeter the hope of life will be when it does finally come. So church, do not lose hope. Even if God chooses to wait. He can and he cares and he may restore life now, like we talked about last week, or he may choose to wait. But if he chooses to wait, it's only so that he can receive more glory and be made more known. But just like he told his disciples, this won't end in death. This life will not end in death. But if you don't know God, you can experience something that, again, no one can prepare you for. No one could have told you fully about. You can experience life. You can experience not only life and living now, but in, in eternity. You can have that same hope even in the heaviness of life. The Bible says this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And that death did not end in death, it ended in life. And as a result, we can know life because we know a God who can and who cares. Because we know that God does not end all things with death, but he will restore life to dead things. So some of us are sitting here and, and we have this heavy and this somber, but we hope. But others, you may not have that hope because you don't know God. So the question, do you know him? That, that's the question for today. Do you know him? And if not, I wanna invite you to do that in just a second. But this morning as, as we close, I want you to join me in prayer. To just sit for a moment 
with our eyes closed and acknowledge the heavy. I know I feel it and many of you feel it. We have heaviness in our world and in our lives. Sometimes I think we try to hide the heaviness, but right now in this moment, I want you to just hold that heaviness in your hands. And if you know God, recognize that that heaviness does not end in death. A death may be required, but it's only so that we can experience the life on the other side and that much more rejoice that life is possible. That there's a resurrection around the corner. God, you can, you care about the heavy that we hold, even this morning. Thank you for being the God who cares, but who also offers hope in the middle of life's heavy. But Father, I recognize that there may be some here today who don't know you, who don't know your hope, don't know your life. And right now, Lord, would you give them the boldness to just raise their hand as a way of saying, God, I don't know you, but I want to. I want your hope and I want your life. And so if you're sitting in here this morning and, and you feel that heaviness, but you're saying, I don't know hope, I, I don't know God. If that's you this morning, I wanna invite you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand as a way of saying, I, I want hope. I'm tired of holding heaviness. I want to know someone who can take that heavy away. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the chance that we have to know you. Thank you for, for the fact that you care. The fact that just as Jesus said, you hear, you always hear. But Lord, there are opportunities that we have in life to sit in the heavy so that you can be made more known. But Father, I ask that you would help us not lose sight of the hope. You may choose to wait. But God, I know that there is hope in the midst of the heavy because one day you will restore all things to life. Lord, thank you for life. It's in your name we pray, amen. Now church, would you stand with me? I know this was, this was a heavy morning. And so what I'd like to do is invite you to hold your hands out with whatever heaviness you carried in here. And I wanna speak these words of life over you and over that heavy. And so as you leave this morning, would you walk out knowing that whatever heavy you have 
There is a God who cares. There is a God who can. And there is a God who will restore hope and life one day. Leave this morning knowing that that God is alive and is working even now. You are sent out.